You know, in Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians, his first epistle, he tells them he wants to visit the Thessalonians because he wants to help them with what is lacking in their faith. Now, in this day and age, a lot of people would take offense to that for him to uh, even infer that maybe they were lacking something in their faith. But if you'll stop and think about it, we're all lacking something in our faith because we are all growing in the Lord. We start out in one place and we start out in different places. Let's face it. Some of us have been brought up in moral environments. Some of us may be in a, an immoral environment, but we all start where we are and then we start walking with the Lord. And as we walk with him, he cleans us up. He helps us out. He uh, helps us to become the person that we were created to be. And deep inside, we have always longed to be. And so we all have our, what you might call a growing edge. And the way Paul puts it, he says, night and day, we've been praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, this is why Paul, the great pastor, wants to do this, because he wants them to be able to stand blameless before the Lord when he comes. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I just noticed it yesterday. First Thessalonians is all about the second coming of Jesus. Every chapter mentions the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and as we're looking at this, this morning, I think it's just a very appropriate chapter to look at as we begin Advent, because uh, there are certain things that we just need to just kind of lay out as groundwork for the entirety of the Advent season. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at, first of all, the facts of Advent, then the question of Advent, the truth of Advent, and finally, the challenge of Advent. First of all, the fact of Advent. Jesus is coming back. That is a fact. That is set. It's going to happen. And yet it troubles some people to hear this for some strange reason. As I was thinking about this and how fearful some people are when they start thinking about the second coming of the Lord, I, I, I read across a story just reminded me, of what they go through whenever you start. They just want to stick their fingers in their ears because it scares them for some reason. On the outskirts of a small town, there was a big old pecan tree just inside a cemetery fence. And one day, two boys filled up uh, a bucket full of uh, pecans and they sat down by a tree out of sight. And they began dividing uh, these pecans between them. One for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Uh, and so the boys were dividing them up and several dropped 
and rolled down toward the fence. Another boy came riding along on his bicycle, and as he passed, he thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery. He slowed down to investigate, and sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And he just knew what it was, and he jumped back on his bike, and he rode off, and just as he rounded the bend, he met an old man with a cane who was hobbling along. And the boy said, come quick. You won't believe uh, what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery dividing up the souls. <laughs> the man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? But when the boy insisted, the old man hobbled slowly toward the cemetery and standing by the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. The old man whispered, boy, you've been telling me the truth. Let's see if we can see the Lord. And shaking with fear, they peered through the fence, but they still weren't able to see anything. And the old man, the boy gripped the wrought iron wire, the wrought iron bars of the fence tighter and tighter as they were straining to get a glimpse of the Lord. And at last, uh, they heard, one for you, one for me, that's all. Now let's go get those nuts by the fence and we'll be done. <laughs> they say that the old man made it back to town a full five minutes ahead of the kid on the bicycle. <laughs> well, that I get the impression that that's kind of the way people feel about the second coming of the Lord. They think it's something really scary and that somehow Jesus or the devil are going to get them whenever it happens. And that's not what's going on at all. There's so many times, and this is a part of many of our growing edges. You know, if you stop and think about it, we never really look at the Bible and hear and embrace what it says. Instead, what we do is we listen to other people and form our opinions and hold our ground on our opinion instead of seeing what God's word says about something. And so... Uh, I want us to be looking at Advent. Two aspects. Of, actually, there's three when you finally get down to it. But biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope available for us today. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming, so both Testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. One scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament, where 17 books give it prominence. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus. That's an amazing one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament are talking about the second coming of the Lord. 
23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this tremendous event. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first advent, there are eight which are looking forward to his second coming. And as I mentioned earlier, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians mentions the second coming of our Lord. (laughs) Now, I think you can sum all this up as far as the message of the Bible concerning Advent, and it is promise made, promise kept. Do you see that? Promise made. First of all, God kept his promises concerning the first coming of the Lord. And because we know he kept his promises made over a couple of thousand years before the Lord came, we know that he will keep his promises concerning the second coming of the Lord. As I was thinking about this, all of a sudden I remembered a time back many, many years ago when I had the opportunity to hear Barry McGuire give his testimony in person. Now, most of y'all are old enough to know who Barry McGuire is. He was the lead singer for the New Christie Minstrels. He sang songs like he was a lead singer in Greenback Dollar and uh, different songs like that. Anyway, Barry became a very strong Christian. One of the events that he relates whenever it comes to him beginning to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior was at the height of his success, he was down in his heart. Something was missing. Even though he was somebody, he felt like nothing. And he came dragging out of a club one night uh, down in Hollywood, I believe it was, And he looked over, and here was a a young biker sitting on his motorcycle. And Barry McGuire just looked over at him and said, Hey, what's happening, man? And the young man on the bicycle, just his face just lit up like the sun with his hands on the handlebars. And he said, Jesus. And that just bowled Barry McGuire over. And he went on his way. He just couldn't get just the the glow and the life that he saw in this young biker. That young biker's uh, name is Arthur Blessett. And uh, many of you probably know who he is, but Arthur is somebody that's carried the, the, the cross or a cross around the world. I remember uh, seeing a video of him one time just grabbing hold of Yasser Arafat and praying for Yasser Arafat. I mean, he's bold in the Lord. He's as old as I am. He's not getting around like he used to, but he still has that glow on his face because Jesus is still happening with Arthur Blessed. And that's just it. You see, It's all about Jesus. Jesus is what's happening all through Advent, all the way through. We see that that's what's happening is Jesus. God was preparing for the second coming of Jesus 
before the foundation of the world. We see in Genesis, the promised uh, or the promise was made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And from that point on, humankind has been waiting and God has been working. Jesus has been happening all along the way. God prepared a people for Jesus to come forth from. He prepared a place for Jesus to be born. And then at just the exact right moment in all of time, Jesus came. Promise made, promise kept. And Jesus did his work. He paid for our sins with his body and his blood. And then he returned to heaven after promising that he would be back. And so we wait. We wait for his second coming. But we don't have to wait in fear. Because while we are waiting, God is still doing his holy, his, his work through his Holy Spirit so that when Jesus comes again, we will not have to have any fear. Some of you may know who St. Augustine is. He lived back in the fourth century and he said in a sermon way, way, way back then, something that is just as true this morning. And that is do not resist the first coming and the second will not terrify you. Do you get that? Do not resist the first coming. Don't resist the first coming of Jesus. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to fight against it. Don't resist it. Embrace it. Receive him. And when you do so, all of a sudden, the second coming is something to look forward to, not something to fear. So the question this morning is not whether or not Jesus is coming. That's a fact. The question is the same as it was for those Thessalonians way, way back, almost 2000 years ago. Will we be able to stand blameless and holy before the Lord. C.H. Spurgeon said, conversion is a turning onto the right road. The next thing is to walk on it. And I'm afraid there are a lot of people that have said the prayer of conversion and never even started walking on the road. Jesus knocked on the door of their hearts and they heard the doorbell or they heard the knock and they may have gone to the door and cracked it open a bit, but they haven't really started walking with him yet. We are on a journey once we have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as Paul put it so well in another one of his epistles, we should be pressing on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So the question is, have we gotten started? And if we have gotten started, are we still moving on with the Lord or have we bogged down somewhere?
There's another coming of the Lord that's also mentioned. There's his first coming. There is his second coming. But there's another coming of the Lord that's uh, sometimes missed as we talk about Advent. And that's his promise to come into our lives in this in-between time between the two comings. He says it this way at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And he's talking to the church. That always amazes me. He's now addressed seven churches and those seven churches pretty well run the gamut of everything that you can find in any church today. As far as the problems, challenges, uh, good things that they're doing, he runs across all those. And then he says this, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, what will he do? Do you know what he says he'll do? It doesn't say he'll wave at them, does it? No, it doesn't say that he'll just talk to you through a crack in the door. What's he say? He says, I will come in to them. I will come in. That is a promise. If you will open the door, he will come in and will sup with them and they with me. And that's the thing that gives us comfort in this in-between time is we're not in this in-between time alone as we're waiting for him to come. He's already with us through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, helping us to be blameless whenever he shows up. So, have you heard him knocking? Have you opened the door and invited him in? Some people, <laughs> they just want to, and I've seen, I don't know, I do this to salespeople all the time. They come, they knock on the door, they ring the doorbell. I open the door, but I'm not about to let them in. I stand at the door and talk to them. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of people do with Jesus. They like to talk to Jesus, but they're not about to invite him in. They just want him to stand outside the door and tell him how ugly my windows are. You know, I mean, that's just everybody want to tell me how they want to replace my windows all the time. You know, they, Anyway, they can just stand outside and tell me about that. But that's the way we treat Jesus a lot of times. Just think about it. The next, some people just talk to him at the door. How far, if you have invited him in, how far have you allowed him to come in? How far have you invited him in? Have you left him in the foyer and then gone off to do something else? Have you let him into the living room of your heart, but haven't offered him a seat? Have you continued to fellowship with him? Or has something caused you to lose contact with him? And that brings us to the truth of Advent. And that is, we all have something lacking in our faith right here this morning. Just like the Thessalonians did way back then, we still have something lacking in our journey of faith. That area where we're called to be moving forward with the Lord. 
As I was thinking about this, I remembered uh, a dear friend of mine. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he was crazy when we were kids. I just loved being with him. Uh, We did some fun things together. I didn't do this with him, though, I'll tell you. But uh, he lived further out in the country than I did. And there's a dirt road that went by where he lived. And cars would come just blaring down this dirt road. And so sometimes he'd get out there and stand on the side of the dirt road. And wherever he'd see a car coming, just before they got to him, he would act like he was pulling a rope real hard across that dirt road. And he loved to see them slam on their brakes and just skid all over that dirt road. Now you see, he interrupted their journey. Sometimes things in life can distract us. There was, uh, uh, <laughs> I was asking Sharon about this on the way in. Uh, one of our daughters, uh, well, I've got to back up a little bit, we'll give more uh, background here. How many of you ever heard of the Falk monster? Let's see your hand. <laughs> Only my wife. Okay. How many of you know where Falk, Arkansas is? Let's see your hand. Okay. Okay. Falk, Arkansas is not too many miles away from Texarkana. And there is a Falk monster. It's like the Sasquatch of Arkansas. Okay. And my, one of my daughters, is actually friends with the daughter, I mean, with the, with the father. I mean, I'm going to get this right. My daughter is friends with the daughter of the Falk monster. <laughs> How can that be, you ask? Well, it turns out that the Falk monster it was really a guy that was divorced, lived by himself out in the woods. He would get drunk from time to time put on a gorilla suit and run out on the side of roads, look where his cars were coming by and turn around and run back in the woods. Again, causing people to slam on their brakes and think they'd seen something really unusual. And they had, even if it was just a guy in a gorilla suit. But that was he. that's where the Falk monster stuff came from. There's a grain of truth in that, I guess you might say. But anyway, so there we have another situation where somebody's journey was interrupted. Two brothers that I ministered to and were in my church in another place in East Texas, outside of Mount Selman, where it gets really, really hilly. Back in the day of steam engines, they confessed this to me. There was a steam engine that would come by a certain time of day and go up this steep, steep hill. And they would have to get up a good head of steam to make it up the hill. Well, they would take a bacon rind and they would grease the track. And so what would happen would be the train would build up its head of steam start up the track, and all of a sudden, the wheels would just spin like crazy, and then it would start going back down. And they love to have the power of stopping an entire freight train and causing it to slide back down a hill. Well, it's more they didn't kill somebody. But again, a journey was stopped. There are The point is that sometimes... We can be journeying along with the Lord 
And something just happened in our lives that can totally distract us. And sometimes we can get so distracted, we never get back to him. And so this is the truth of the matter when it comes to Advent, is that there are places in our lives, there are different ways that we need to start inviting him to move on with us again. We all have a growing edge. If you neglect the Lord long enough, he'll just leave you alone. He's a gentleman. Or maybe you've reached a point of disagreement about something where you know what he wants you to do and you just don't want to do it. You know what's keeping you from being holy and blameless before the Lord and you just haven't wanted to go there. Well, he's knocking on your door again today. He's tapping you on the shoulder and he's saying, this is the time. It's the time to go there. It's the time to pick up and start moving forward again. It's time. It's time. I don't care if it's something that you are supposed to do that you haven't done or something that you're supposed to stop doing and you haven't stopped it. The thing is, it's time to start this morning as we come before the Lord, remembering he came and he died for us. And now this morning he says, will you live for me? I close with this poem entitled Christ's Return. There's a man in yonder glory I have loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and has banished all my fears. He's coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and no time will be allotted for you to utter one goodbye. No time to kiss the husband or embrace the loving wife if they are but united in the bonds of holy life. Are you ready, Christian, ready for shout and trump and voice? Will his coming make you tremble or cause you to rejoice? Are you walking, talking with him daily, taking him your care? Do you live so close to heaven that a breath would waft you there? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.